everyone, and thanks for tuning in to our first ever episode of Overdressed and Underqualified, a podcast where we discuss first job stuff and all of the other things associated with starting your career. Like I said in our trailer, Olivia, Brayden, and I will bounce between young professional mini episodes and longer guest episodes where we bring in experts in the business world to talk about their field. I'm your host, Amanda Alexander, and today we have a guest interview where we hear from Matt Hunkler, the CEO and founder of Powder Keg, a platform designed to connect people with businesses best suited for them. I hope you guys are as excited as I am. Let's get to it. Take it from the top. Uh, I'm Matt Hunkler. I am the founder and CEO of Powder Keg, um, Indiana native. Grew up in West Lafayette, Indiana, but spent most of my college career in uh, Bloomington, Indiana at IU. I'm definitely a hot, an entrepreneur at heart, a chronic entrepreneur uh, from the start, as, as, as long as I can remember. I was working as early as I possibly could from paper route in sixth grade all the way through the end of high school. I had already started my first business by the time I graduated high school, and it's it's been really fun to learn a lot here in Indiana, but then also elsewhere in the world as I've gotten a, a chance to travel and meet a lot of people. Now, what I do with Powder Keg is right in line with that, helping these entrepreneurial companies connect with the talent they need to grow and scale, while at the same time helping a lot of the professionals who have a passion to work in tech in areas outside of Silicon Valley, uh, really connect with their calling, pursue a fulfilling career in tech, and ultimately reach their full potential no matter where they live. Matt has always considered himself as an entrepreneur, signs of which began showing at a very young age. One of the things was, you know, my my parents were divorced when I was very, very young, uh, but my dad didn't move far. He moved like two blocks away. And so he actually walked my paper out with me every morning. And a lot of times we would, we we walked together. It wasn't like we divided and conquered, like we walked the route together. And so we'd get a chance to talk and we'd talk a lot about business. Uh, My dad started a a few companies. None of them were rocket ship successes by any means. So in a lot of ways, I I got to learn from the failures of some of those businesses and at least some of the challenges that he worked his way through along the way, which is a lot of what entrepreneurship is. And one of the books that he had recommended that I read was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. One of the key takeaways of that book for me was just this uh, definition of what is an asset and what is a liability. And for those of us who have been to business school, we know what an asset and a liability is from like accounting class. But Robert Kiyosaki had a kind of different definition of what an asset is, meaning like an asset is something that can like actually help you earn more money, meaning like your car is not an asset unless you use that car to like go deliver pizzas or something like that, or give people rides because you're an Uber driver, right? So I had used some of my paper up money to buy a bunch of crap, uh, you know, everything from paintball guns to giant trampolines in the backyard, which my mom made me return, both of those things. But one of the things I had purchased was like DJ equipment. So two turntables and uh, I thought I'd like to like DJ. 
what I found out is that I didn't like to DJ because I wanted to be like out in the party, hanging out and socializing with people, not behind the turntables. And so I, uh, my dad challenged me, like, how could you turn that into an asset by the definition of Robert Kiyosaki? Meaning how could you use that to be something that you could use to actually earn money? And uh, he had listened to a, a radio program where someone was taking vinyl records and digitizing them onto CDs. And so at, at the time, CDs were still the desired format. Uh, it was before MP3 players, it was probably around 2000 or, or maybe late 90s. And USB turntables were not a thing yet either. So I had the right equipment to kind of like daisy chain together the, the hardware into the computer. So my first business was called Vinyl to Digital. I took vinyl records, digitized them onto CD. And did that because ultimately I wanted to like pay for a trip to Europe. So it was, it was a very motivating thing for me. And then when I finally earned enough money to go do that trip, it's sort of like locked in like, oh, this is this is the way to do things like this is this is a career path for me. In college, Matt made sure he kept himself occupied with experiences that let him continue to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. So I, I ultimately graduated with a degree in entrepreneurship and marketing, but a lot of my career was sort of shifting majors, uh, not career, but my university experience was shifting majors. I was undecided for a while. Then I was actually engineering and business double major because I did my first year at Purdue. And it was sort of one of those things where it's like just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. And ultimately decided to transfer to IU because it was a better fit for what I wanted to do. IU has a great entrepreneurship program. I had a chance to learn from some of the best professors, some of whom are still friends today and mentors today. And at the same time, get a little bit outside my comfort zone. You know, West Lafayette, I went to West Lafayette High School, which was an awesome place to, to grow up, you know. But it was, uh, it was really cool being down at IU because that entrepreneurial environment of the Johnson School for Entrepreneurship, which is number one ranked uh, public university for entrepreneurship, has been for a long time, um, kind of gave me some frameworks for approaching entrepreneurship. Meanwhile, I was starting another business in college, so it was kind of like I was always playing this game of like, if I heard something in class, how quickly could I apply that? And sometimes I was literally doing that real time because like laptops and the internet were a thing by then where I was like actually able to like work in class. Like just, just recently that type, that thing had happened where the whole university was Wi-Fi enabled. Um, so it was really fun to try different things succeed sometimes, sometimes fail, sometimes take that back to professor and be like, hey, you said this thing works, it doesn't, um, and have that kind of uh, discourse. And ultimately turning a lot of those professors into sort of like unpaid consultants for my business, <laughs> sure. um, which was uh, super fortunate for me to have. Were you a person that was either frustrated by your failures or were did you find yourself being spurred on by those failures? Both. You know, I, I, I think I reacted with frustration and uh and motivation and, and spark to like just drive that much more. So it, it was, um, and there's a lot of fun in like figuring out how to overcome an obstacle too. I, I think that kind of gets back to some of my engineering mindset a little bit. Um, by no means am I an engineer, but like I was raised in that environment. My grandfather was an engineer. Um, and, and so I, I think I pull from some of that DNA in a way where it's like, oh, cool, a problem. And so I like run towards the problem um, as long as it's like a problem that's going to help me get to solving and like creating more value on the other side. Um, so I but I also 
I think one of the things that I've learned the most over the last decade plus was um, figuring out how to like not be such a perfectionist. Uh, you have to learn how to not be a perfectionist as an entrepreneur because uh, you need to like ship. You just need to ship things, meaning like uh, create something, put it out there, get feedback, ship something, put it out there, get feedback. Um, this sort of like I want to hold this back and like really make it, quote unquote, perfect, which doesn't exist um, before I ship it out into the world is just sort of like paralysis by analysis. It um, delays the most valuable thing, which is user feedback. And um, so it, it took me some time to figure that out. Um, but ultimately, by like surrounding myself with the right people, uh, having great friends, having great mentors, um, just sort of watched as like the most successful people were just like constantly putting themselves out there. And uh, the more you're around that, the more you tend to do it yourself. And of course, Matt's wisdom of sharing before you're ready comes from experience, both on the succeeding end and on the failing end. So when I sold my business to join the Or Fellowship program and move up here to Indianapolis, and that business was it was a small website development, uh, custom small business, small medium sized business uh, software development shop. It was called SureSight Design. It was like super like Web 2.0 uh, name, and the website was that way too. But learned a lot through that process. Had built this distributed workforce of just great developers, designers. Um, strategists around the world. So kind of got plugged into like a more global mindset early on. Um, this was before like Fiverr and, and all these other platforms that exist today. I was using one called rentacoder.com. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a cool experience. Uh, and it was ultimately the Or Fellowship that got me to think, all right, I need to leave this thing here behind. I actually took a pay cut to join the Or Fellowship program because it was a bigger opportunity to learn in, in my mind and, and plug in and learn how to create value on a bigger scale. So I ultimately went and, and started working at Blue Lock with Mark Hill and John Qualls, who was the founder of Blue Lock, and just learned a ton while I was there. I sold that when I sold that business, I told myself, all right, I'm going to give myself these two years. I'm not going to start any businesses. I'm going to like just pour myself into apprenticeship, you know, put all that energy into this startup. And I, I definitely did that. I like I was definitely 50, 60 hours a week at Blue Lock trying to get that going. It was 12 people when I joined the, the company there. But there's this itch that I had to scratch. And um, someone I, who I'd worked with previously came to me with this idea. He saw the trend, the mega trend. I saw the technology piece and uh, we launched what was called Repurify, which was an e-commerce platform for non-toxic products and cosmetics. Now, the problem is this was 2009. That market didn't really hit until 2014. And we ignored a lot of data. We spent uh, probably a year plus like getting it ready before actually launching it to the world or like even like trying to sell these products like person to person and like creating more of that sort of user feedback loop. And ultimately, a lot of the money, some of the money that I had made from the first sale went into that. And so it was a slightly painful lesson, but also just like the energy and hours that went into it over probably the two and a half years that it was kind of like a nights and weekends sort of thing. And, and ultimately it was the, the tech community that I'd started to assemble here in 
Indiana that sort of supplanted that energy, supplanted the energy that I was putting into Repurify. And um, had I shipped it earlier and gotten feedback, I probably would have either pivoted into the right thing or wound it down earlier. Meanwhile, with the community that was being built, I was kind of more just naturally taking feedback. And part of it was sort of that I didn't even think of it as a business. It was purely, hey, I'm just trying to help out my entrepreneurial friends who care about connecting and getting plugged in. I need to assemble some sort of community here because outside of the Orr Fellowship, there really wasn't anything. And it was actually listening to what people wanted that turned that into ultimately what has become Powder Keg. The birth of Powder Keg was actually an accident. It wasn't something that Matt intended to become a business, but despite where he saw his path going, the world had other plans. And learning from his mistakes with Repurify, he decided to listen to what people were saying early on. The whole thing, I will say it's the, the first business I ever started that was not meant to be a business, or at least the lifestyle business I was running before we launched, like truly what it, we consider now powder keg that we launched two and a half years ago. That, that sort of lifestyle business and tech community that we founded here, you know, started as sort of a ragtag group of friends. A lot of them were or fellows. Um, I remember Yao Enning, who runs Malomo here in town, was, was one of them. Brennan Knotts, who was also in Yao's class. I was a co-founder with Brennan in a, in a startup called Pocket Tales. He was part of that group. Ian was coming. Ian Runyon was coming to those. It was a really great group of people. Ultimately, it was very self-serving the way it kind of all assembled and came together on multiple fronts. So it started as a, as a group and I just wanted to like pitch what I was doing with Repurify and get feedback and was assembling that group. And like two other people were like, well, hey, I'm working on a thing. Can I present what I'm doing and get some feedback? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so we did that. And three people pitched, we got feedback, and sort of lo and behold, that model worked. And people were like, when are you hosting the next one? And I was like, next one what? It, it kind of clicked with me that like, there's like a need for this. Like there, there's a need and an outlet. And I, I literally tried to not do it for a very long time. Like I was like, sent an email out to the entire listserv and was like, hey, someone needs to take this over. I'm running a startup and work at a startup. I, I, I don't have time for this. And like that email sat in my inbox for like two weeks before I was like, all right, I guess I'm running it again. And just sort of never put it down. So it was it was that need for for community and feedback and connectivity that sort of was the nucleus of it. And I, I think that the the density of like getting people together in a physical room, but then also creating sort of like the digital density. So at the time, Twitter was the hot platform. YouTube was just taking off. So I was recording things, publishing them on YouTube, tweeting them out on Twitter. And that was kind of creating this like viral loop. Like everyone in tech in India was on Twitter and that's how we all connected. And we'd meet together down at South by, and that's where a lot more connectivity happened. And it was sort of like everything sort of snowballed from there. People like Mark Hill were gracious enough to come and give a, a talk at you know one of our meetup events and that, I think that video is still online like Mark in the back room of Binkley's on Kessler like <laughs> get, giving like dropping knowledge about everything he, he knew at the time about business and continues to just do awesome things at Lumivate so it was it was just like a great 
nucleus community that I certainly benefited off of the or fellowship. But then there were just people I was meeting out. I was saying yes to everything. I was going to every event because I was in sort of a sales role and sales support role at Blue Lock. So like that was happening. And I was, you know, after work, I'd go to two, three events. I would have multiple lunches. I was having multiple breakfasts, everything and anything that I could go to. I was doing that. And then with the community that I was building at the time with with my friends, that was that was something that was sort of like filling the void and filling the white space, which was sort of like we needed that community and sort of like connectedness and a map for how do we like navigate this crazy world of startups and tech entrepreneurship. What has been some of the biggest changes that you have seen with Powder Keg and its evolution, whether it's been something that you guys strategically wanted to implement or if it was something that was just organically and naturally came about? Yeah, so a, a lot of it, you know, for the first five, six, seven years was very organic. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I was treating it as a lifestyle business. I was always like going and like either running marketing or running product at tech companies, whether it was Slingshot or Social Reactor, which is a spinoff from Cha Cha. And so I was still doing, growing the community like nights and weekends. And so when I finally went full time on it after Social Reactor, I was still treating it like a lifestyle business. At, at this point, I was fortunate enough to have like more connectivity into other tech ecosystems. So across the country, I I got hooked up with the Rise of the Rest crew, which was founded by Steve Case, who's a co-founder of AOL, and and invests millions of dollars. They've raised several hundred million dollar funds to invest in tech companies in the middle of the country. And so went on tour with them to multiple cities. There was another company called Recess, founded by some IU grads, where we toured the country. Got to go speak in places like New Zealand and Aruba and and different countries, Medellin and Colombia, where I started to kind of see some patterns in these communities and every community is very, very different and different DNA, but a lot of the problems are the same. And so seeing those problems in these tech communities outside of Silicon Valley and New York City, where obviously they have incredible geographic density of talent and capital and customers, you know, 80% of venture capital goes to just three states, uh, California, Massachusetts, and New York, leaving the other 20% to go to the remaining 47 states. That's changing. This is the first year in history when venture capital investment grew more outside the valley than inside Silicon Valley. So that's a first. So the trend is shifting. But at the same time, there's just not the same density. And really, Indianapolis is never going to catch up with Silicon Valley in terms of that geographic density. However, it's certainly building more digital density. And all of these ecosystems propped up things like TechPoint and Launch Fishers and Union 525 and all of these great programs like 1150 and Kinsey Academy are sort of the things that that are necessary for an ecosystem to grow. So back 10 years ago, none of that existed. And the group I was organizing was trying to do too much and be that sort of connective tissue and, and try to empower people to like go off and do things, right? Like people would launch their companies at our events. Uh, Mike Langelier launched his company at one of our events just over here in, in Lockerbie in 2011. And those people then went off and did other things, created more community. And that's so very necessary necessary for ecosystems like Indianapolis and Indiana. And now all of these cities and communities are doing that. But what is missing is that interconnectivity between all of them and interconnectivity between the people. And so that's sort of what we 
set out to do. And the biggest pain point for these scaling tech companies, is, as we found in, in the research that we've done first party in all these markets that we've served, the number one pain point for tech companies is attracting and retaining this sort of mid to senior level talent. It's awesome that groups like TechPoint have the Or Fellowship, you know, help power the Or Fellowship program and have the extern program. But what's missing is that, that connectivity for that mid to senior level professional to find the right tech company for them. And when we look at the data for the mid to senior level tech professional, you know, maybe someone coming out of the or their two year or fellowship uh, endeavor is those people join tech companies for the same reason that they quit tech companies, at least the number one reason, which is company culture. And when we had hundreds of interviews with these professionals, lots of conversations over beers and lunches and people in the office here having those those conversations is that there's really not a great way to figure that out. What is a company culture like? The best option today is to join the company. And when you think about the cost to a professional, it's super high to actually like change roles, change companies to figure out, is this going to be a good fit for me? So that's where we started to say, all right, we need to better map these tech companies and these tech ecosystems, uh, not just in Indiana, but across the country so that more people can know about the awesome tech companies we have here in Indiana and connect with the companies that can really provide the best vehicle for them to achieve their personal and professional goals. And so that's really what the next evolution of Powder Keg and why we launched this platform over the last year or so is, is to better connect the right people with the right company at the right time. Powder Keg, with its mission of successful connectivity, tries to connect people in different ways. One, through their platform. Two, through experiences and events. And three, by providing insights, both about the jobs themselves and the business ecosystems of the area. Sure. So the the three things that we do at Powder Keg are the events and experiences, Mm -hmm. then, of course, delivering insights. And we do that through some of the tech census reports and data that we collect, uh, firsthand data in all these markets, but then also through the podcast, the Powder Keg podcast, as well as some of the articles that we're publishing, both on Powder Keg and through some of our national media partners. But then finally, matches, which is what we're doing with the platform, providing matches both to employers to the right talented candidates, but also the right employers to the professionals in our network who are looking for that right opportunity and enabling them to do that in a way that is low commitment, low risk, private, because these tech communities are so tight knit. It's very hard to for a professional to go out and actually see what else is out there and have something to compare against. And so we create that marketplace for professionals to better navigate and jump into a new tech geography, but also maybe even within the geography, say, hey, I want to break into tech. What's the best way to navigate that? Or, hey, I've been here for five years. My company just got acquired. That was awesome. I'm popping my head up for the first time in five years. What is out there and what's right for me? We provide that that connectivity and a system for them to do that easily. When Matt explained this to me, I couldn't help but think of them as an e-harmony of sorts, but rather Powder Keg is letting people professionally date each other and the companies. We're collecting data both from the professional, but also the professionals that work 
at these tech companies. So directly from the people who work at tech companies, mm -hmm. that's how we create our company profile mm -hmm. data. So we're taking those attributes and matching against the professional attributes similar to an eHarmony, a match.com, whatever. But instead of, you know, I have no idea what the categories are on, on dating <laughs> websites, but the, you know, the, the variables that we're looking at are things like what kind of leadership style do you prefer? What are the core values and what are your personal values and how do those line up to corporate values? Obviously things like what are your salary requirements? What kind of benefits do you care most about? You know, someone who needs to make a certain amount of money and needs stability to provide for their family might not want to go out and try a pre-seed stage startup. Uh, while at the same time, someone who really wants to potentially build a lot of wealth, be part of something and have a big impact might love going and getting one to 3% of equity joining an early stage pre-seed type of company. So we, we want to provide that connectivity while at the same time showing lots of different options, which until recently, there just wasn't a good map for unearthing some of these sort of like hidden gems and not just on the, the startup side, but even, you know, bigger companies like Lilly have a digital health and digital innovation program. Cummins has an amazing transportation accelerator system. And a lot of those things just kind of aren't known for people who work in tech um, and certainly aren't known people outside of this geography. So we're, we're trying to make that a lot easier for people. And why do you say that's not been available really up until recently? What are those What are those factors that made it more available? Well, for, for one, they didn't exist uh, until recently. And so it's, it's still very early from that stage. Um, so the other piece of it is the curation piece. There's a, there is a lot of noise out there just in general. It can be hard, you know, with hundreds, if not thousands of tech companies here that we've mapped in central Indiana to say, all right, what are the right ones for me? You're not going to just start at the top of the list and it's just, all right, what does this company do? Okay, now what does this company do? And so making that matching piece of what we do um, just a lot easier kind of provides a roadmap. So it's curation plus a little bit of intelligence to make that search, which is what people just have come to expect today from technology. And that's what we're working to provide. Mm -hmm. I want to pause here and go back to a comment Matt made earlier about 80% of venture capital funding going to California, New York, and Massachusetts. That to me is insane. But on the back half of that comment, Matt said that this year is the first time more funds are going to other states. I wanted to know what all has all of a sudden changed in the ecosystem of our nation, or even just Indiana, that has made investors look outside of Silicon Valley. That's a great question. It's a big question. And, and I don't profess to know all of the market forces, but there, there are some um, very prominent ones. And I don't know that it necessarily is the case that we weren't taken seriously. Um, certainly, there are certain people that just didn't take anything outside of Silicon Valley seriously. That's their own uh, baggage that they've got to deal with. And, and some people still operate that way, for sure. But one, it's what's happening in Silicon Valley, New York, Boston, you know, those cities that are in those three states, the cost of living going up, the valuations of those companies driving way, way up, the even overall philosophy of how you start a tech company in those cities is very, very different. And it's not necessarily bad. It's just 
different. And so a lot of that has enabled companies like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to launch with no business model at all in terms of at least no revenue model, I should say, to launch and grow and be incubated in, in Boston and Silicon Valley and New York. And so that's great for that kind of company. More and more venture capital is hungry for businesses that like generate money. Like early on, obviously, venture capital is always expecting some sort of return at some point. But some of the things that have just happened uh, in business over the last decade have led to this trend of looking for things that maybe are at a little bit lower valuation, which just tend tend to be found here in the middle of the country. And valuation that oftentimes is based off of like real revenue and business models that have revenue baked into it. So that's a big piece of it. The other piece is that these ecosystems in the middle of the country have become a lot more attractive because there are just more tech companies as companies like Exact Target and Interactive Intelligence and Aprimo have gotten acquired and stayed here with Salesforce and Genesis and you know, Tango now instead of Moby um, are, are here in town and investing more dollars into attracting more talent. It creates this sort of flywheel that uh, sort of talent begets more talent, companies beget more companies. And Indianapolis and Indiana in particular is fortunate in that most of those founders, uh, people who have made money off of those exits have stayed here in Indiana and started investing in other tech companies. That's happening across the country in Nashville and Tennessee and Denver and Colorado. And um, it's really cool to see. And so now you're, you're seeing, like I said, venture capital growth is, is venture capital investment is growing faster in the middle of the country than it is in Silicon Valley, which is indicative of some of the other things that we're seeing, which is these uh, cities for the first time in history are contracting San Francisco, uh, Bay Area and New York City because the things like rent to income ratio, I, I think in uh Silicon Valley is something like 38%. Uh, you're spending 38% of your income on rent in San Francisco. In New York City, it's over 50% of your income is going to rent. In Indianapolis, it's, I think, 13. 13 to 15, some, somewhere in there. Um, so you can afford just a greater cost of living. But also, if you're starting a tech company, you can do that with a lot less capital. And that's really important in those early days. And now that we have a lot more of that early stage capital to spawn new companies, that's providing more job opportunities. And again, it's just a flywheel. The world Matt lives in, like many entrepreneurs, is chaotic. There are so many moving parts. You always have to be on top of new developments regarding your business or the category of business world you fall into. And at least from what I can see, you have to have so much energy. Personally, I would be drained, but Matt seems drawn to it. His childhood and young adult life, a shining example. I I definitely find fulfillment in the chaos. And actually, one of my biggest evolutions, I think, in the last three to five years is like, I think there's something to like the addiction to chaos. So in my early career, I was starting lots of things. I was staying so, so busy with starting companies, trying to help connect with other companies, learn a ton and just pouring everything into this. And that's great to follow passion when it's there. However, in order for a startup to succeed, it needs to stop being a startup at some point. And so learning to uh, manage the chaos and create order out of chaos and systems out of chaos 
is so, so important. And I've certainly done that in all of my businesses, but then my tendency is to go create more chaos elsewhere, right? Like go chase another opportunity. And there's so much power in focus in one particular opportunity, one particular problem that you're solving. And while maybe at the surface level, it doesn't sound like powder keg is focused because we have events, we have insights and we have the matches platform, really the events and insights are kind of what empower matches, you know, community powered job matching to happen. You know, you don't have community community powered job matching without the community piece. And so the events and insights are kind of what help foster the community piece, whereas matches does the actual job matching. So as we've really focused in on this pain point and even just specifically the mid to senior level professional who has tech experience working at tech companies, connecting with the tech companies where they can really uh, see the most fulfillment and growth in their career and where ultimately they can be the most happy, the happiest. That's something near and dear to my heart because we've all had jobs where we're not we're less than happy in the roles. And I'm not saying like, oh, like today was hard, so I'm gonna quit. I'm saying roles where you've tried to make it work, you've tried your best to like do all the mindset shifts, do all of the the internal work necessary to um, rise to the occasion of your role or level up to a role where your skills aren't matched, but like hit your head on that ceiling and you've tried to talk to your manager, you've tried to talk to your Um, your leader and it just hasn't gone anywhere. We've probably all had some sort of experience like that, whether it was with a teacher or in a job. And to me, it's the saddest thing to hear. If we haven't all experienced it personally, we at least have friends who we've heard complain to us about this. And so when I can provide alternate alternative that says, Hey, I'm going to help match you with a job you love that's going to give you more potential. I'm not saying necessarily for the rest of your life. You know, the average professional today is shifting careers every three to five years in the Midwest. In the Valley, it's more like every one to two years. So I, we're, we're trying to provide that opportunity where people can come in, make an impact, really grow with the company, make a difference. They themselves can grow and then go on and, and find that next thing. And so yet your original question was what kind of gives you energy and, and motivates you? It's, it's that, and it's, it's the providing that connection. That is that like one plus one equals three, the I'll throw in all the buzzwords, synergy catalyst, uh, all of, all those kinds of things. And, and I, I, I hate those buzzwords, but <laughs> it's the best thing I can use to describe that sort of spark. And that's where the name powder cake comes from is, Uh, Everyone has their own personal powder keg of raw resources and talent. It's really about being very specific and finite about how do you take all of those raw resources and talent and at the right time, in the right place, take the right opportunity to find that spark and set it off and make a big impact in the world and for themselves and the people they care the most about. And that is, to me, what has helped me do the things I need to do to make the biggest impact, which is create order out of chaos, go to the big opportunity, put blinders on to the other opportunities that, that pop up. And I'm not saying like complete blinders. I still put them on a Trello board somewhere for a rainy day when uh, it's time to pull off another great idea or connect a, an idea to an existing thing uh, that exists in the product. It, it is learning to self-manage and that personal growth that goes along with company growth, that that is the thing I'm addicted to now, more so than the chaos and excitement of raw startup energy. 
Powder keg is just one piece of the complicated puzzle in helping others become more satisfied in their jobs and also helping companies succeed in the business world. As a long-term goal, Matt wants to see that 80-20 of venture funding flip to 2080, where other states are given the opportunity to thrive and make waves. But in reality, it honestly doesn't matter where you live to make that kind of an impact. I see a world where it doesn't matter where you live. You can connect with a career that you care about and make an impact on the world, whether you live in Silicon Valley or Boise, Idaho or Terre Haute, Indiana. You can do work that you love, make an impact in the way that you want and ultimately live a great life. It's already happening and certainly Powder Keg isn't the only thing that's doing it. We just want to be a part of that movement that's already happening and keep growing the awareness of what's happening here in the middle of the country. I, I want to share and, and invite people who are listening here to listen to Powder Keg Podcast, which is just powderkeg.com slash iTunes. Um, and you can find all the other links if you're an Overcaster or Spotify uh, person. But then also, um, if you have a friend that is maybe that friend who's saying, hey, maybe you've grabbed beers with them three, four times, and the last three, four times they've always mentioned about how their job sucks, they've been trying to make it work, doesn't seem to work, invite them to just go to powderkeg.com slash jobs and just see what else is out there in the tech world, uh, not just here in Indianapolis, but across Indiana, across the middle of the country, um, and see what might be a match for them. Uh, Because having options is a great thing, and The thing is, we all have options. We just maybe don't always see them. Thank you so much for listening to our first ever episode under the new name of Overdressed and Underqualified. We really hope you enjoyed our content. If you have other people that you'd like to hear from, feel free to give us a shout out at or iTunes at orfellowship.org. Next week, we'll be bringing to you more entrepreneurial stories. We hope that you tune in to listen to those as well. Credit for today's music goes to Anaconda Snake Hunter by Pistol Jazz. <laughs>